We're going to be in the book of Isaiah this morning, but we're going to move around quite a bit. Um, I'll try to be brief because I know it's warm, but um, let's turn to Isaiah right in the middle of the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but, um, and you probably know this about me by now, but one of the most frustrating things that I deal with in life is waiting. I don't like to wait. I'm uh, born in Philadelphia, so maybe some of my northeast is, is there, but um, you know, and it's been well chronicled, how I don't like sitting in traffic, and I don't like being behind people that are texting and eating and, and brushing their hair all at the same time, and um, waiting for an appointment, or, or sitting in a doctor's office, or, or even yesterday I was trying to work on my computer and send some things out, and my computer just refused to, to obey, right? You ever had those days where your computer's like, yeah, you're, you're hostage to me now, okay? So uh, it just wouldn't, I mean, every time I clicked, I'd sit there and it'd spin and spin. It's all just cackling at me and laughing and saying, <laughs> you can't do anything. You're, you're, you're under bondage to the computer. So it was one of those days. And so, so waiting can be a, a great challenge, especially if you're an impatient person like I am, even though the Lord's working on me. Uh, waiting's difficult because it challenges our need for control. We like to be in control. We like to have things the way we want them. And um, it's easy when we're not in control and we're having to be patient or having to wait and we feel it's unnecessary for there to, to be some hostility that creeps in. Whether it's internal and we just start fuming and feeling frustrated and angry and annoyed. I know you never feel those feelings, but, but I do. Um, or outwardly, something comes out of our mouth uh, frustration, or we use that horn on the car because it's there for a reason. Ladies and gentlemen, the horn is there for a reason. Um, it's not to express frustration, even though I have my moments where I do that. But, but there, there's something that comes out because it gets built up, because we get so frustrated. Now, we, we live in a, in a generation where everything's now, right? I mean, the computer problem, I'm glad I have a computer today. I'm glad I'm able to process things and write notes down and search the internet. A lot of people in the world don't have that gift this morning, but we become so conditioned that everything has to happen immediately. And, and I've, I've heard my kids say in a restaurant, why is the Wi-Fi so slow? And I'm like, let's get some perspective here, okay? Everything is conditioned to be immediate. So when something goes past what we believe is reasonable, and I think those times are rapidly shrinking with every passing month, we get a little bit irritated. Now, to the same point, it is uh, one of the most difficult but, but absolutely necessary aspects of walking by faith and walking by the Spirit to wait on the Lord. Walking by faith can be hard enough for us, and we have moments where, where our, our prayers, the answers to our prayers in our minds are delayed, or His leading isn't immediately clear, and that can build in us kind of a spiritual frustration that can affect our faith, and it even affects people around us. They start to get discouraged. As I've been saved, as I said, 41 years, and I grew up watching my parents and watching my grandparents who were so faithful to the Lord and seeing their, their steadfastness and their perseverance and their faith and their patience. And, and I've watched that over the years as I've gotten older rapidly decline as we get down to uh, the younger generations where, where those concepts of steadfastness and perseverance and patience just, just really aren't built in. 
And a lot of that comes out of the media. A lot of that comes out of what we've, what we've gotten conditioned to um, and that instant access mentality. But the enemy is using that to breed impatience in us spiritually. And he's using it to, to get us to be frustrated with this concept of waiting on the Lord. And when that happens, we can get discouraged. And our hearts and our minds can get kind of soured on the Lord. Now, the Bible teaches that it is not only uh, an awesome value to wait on the Lord, and we're going to look at a couple passages this morning about that, but all throughout the Bible, we see men and women of God who had to wait. In fact, when you look through Scripture at the men and women who had to wait on the Lord, I'm not talking days or months, I'm talking years, decades, that, that as they waited on the Lord, it was not only... Uh, absolutely critical for their deeper understanding of the Lord and, and their maturation, but it was also critical to the understanding of the fulfillment of their calling. Noah waited 120 years before the first raindrop. I mean, we think we're having to wait. We think we're having to be impatient. He waited 120 years before that first drop came down. And he labored every day, and he built that huge boat, and he was mocked, and he was ridiculed, and he was isolated socially for 120 years. Abraham and Sarah, Zachariah and Elizabeth, each waited probably 75 years for the first pregnancy test to say positive. They had to persevere. They had to trust. They had to wait on the Lord to fulfill that calling, even though it was against all logic and, and all uh, expectation. Moses waited 80 years in the wilderness before he ever went back to Egypt. 14,600 days in the wilderness waiting to go back to Egypt. And then another 40 years after he got back to Egypt and got the people out, he spent another 40 years in the wilderness again with faithless, disobedient people. Joseph waited 13 years in prison after being betrayed by his brothers. The last two, after he had a promise from the cupbearer, hey, when I get out, because you told my dream, I'll go up and tell the king, and he'll get you out. He waited two years for the cupbearer to finally remember, oh yeah, there was this guy named Joseph in jail. You should talk to him. David waited 15 years after being anointed to actually become king because Saul didn't have his act together and Saul was trying to kill him. So David had to wait a decade and a half from the moment Samuel anointed him with oil to the moment that he actually sat on the throne. Mary and Martha, we'll look at them in a minute. They waited two days for Jesus to come after news went out that Lazarus was sick. And then they waited another four days after Lazarus died and was buried for Jesus to show up. Now there are many examples of this in Scripture. But I think we get the point that those times of waiting and having faith stretched unquestionably made those people who they were. And without them, without the 40 years, without the 80 years, without the 15 years, without the 13 years, without all that time, they would have not really probably learned what they did or been used in the way that they were. And that's because our character is revealed and defined by what we do when we wait. Our character is revealed and defined by what we do when we wait, especially when there is a spiritual principle attached to the waiting. Now, Israel is a continuous example throughout the Old Testament. And outside of building the golden calf at Sinai, I don't know if there's another verse in the Old Testament 
that, that more clearly defines Israel in terms of waiting than the verse we're looking at this morning in Isaiah 30, verse 18. And, and this is in the form uh, from the Lord of a direct challenge, but also an encouragement. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a bittersweet reality here of the promise to them that's so great, but it hasn't still been fulfilled because of their resistance. But I want you to see this morning that this promise, uh, even though it's directed to Israel, is not just for Israel. It's for anyone who loves the Lord, anyone who trusts the Lord. This truth is for us. And it's wonderful and it's powerful. And we're going to look at it and then quickly establish a little bit of context and then go to some other passages. So I hope you have your Bible ready. I hope you have a pen and paper ready. Take some notes this morning and let's let the Holy Spirit now teach us from His Word. Okay, Isaiah 30. And verse 18, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Think about the, the power of that sentence alone. We could preach that for a week. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and how blessed are those who long for him. Now, Isaiah was the prophet who warned Judah and Israel during the time of the kings. This is about 700 years before Jesus. And he most likely lived, as, as historians tell us, during the time of King Uzziah. If you want to know about King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, he was the king who started out so fabulously as a young child, was blessed by God, sought the Lord, sought wise counsel, and God richly blessed him. He was very capable, and then he became very proud, turned on the Lord, uh, defamed uh, uh, the temple. It just got to be a mess at the end. He ended up dying a leper alone. Well, studies show that Isaiah may have been related to Isaiah. He may have been a cousin. And he watched as he prophesied and spoke to Israel and Judah. He watched as this king got caught up in his pride and became negligent of prayer and of his walk and, and ended so poorly. And Uzziah's life really is a, is a microcosm of Israel. It's really a picture of what Israel did, and it really is a picture of the evangelical church in many ways in America right now. So Isaiah comes with this message from the Lord, and the message really has two parts. It's a strong warning to Israel and Judah about their sin and about the consequences of sin. That's the first part. The second part of his prophecy is about the coming of Jesus Christ. No book in the Old Testament talks more about the coming of Christ than the book of Isaiah. So while he presents the negative, Israel, you're in sin. There are going to be consequences. God is going to take you away unless you turn your heart back to him. This is going to get messy and ugly, and it's going to get nasty, and it's your fault. You've done it, so I'm telling you, God's giving you grace. I'm giving you the warning now. Turn your hearts back, or it's not going to end well. Then... As part of the positive, he says, there's a deliverer coming. Unto us a child is born, Isaiah 9 says. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. We always quote it at Christmas, but Isaiah is talking about it all throughout to Israel and Judah. There's a Savior coming, and your hearts need to be right before him. Now, I tell you that because the warnings couldn't have been more clear or more extensive, but the problem was Israel and Judah didn't listen. 
and they didn't change. So eventually when Jesus came 700 years later, they weren't prepared, they weren't expectant, and, and there was kind of a, a half-hearted, partial acceptance of Jesus. It, even though the Lord had made it clear, here's what you do to avoid discipline and live in my blessing. Now, go back a couple verses to verse 15, because let's see, before we get to verse 18, how he established this and what he says he says, first of all, in 15, for thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. What are the last five words? Read it with me. But you were not willing. Now, God clearly says here in verse 15, here's the solution. Repentance and rest brings salvation. Quietness and trust brings strength. That's all you need to do. You need to repent and rest in me. There needs to be a quietness in your heart, and you need to trust me, and I will be faithful, and things will go well, and you'll have strength. But here's the problem, verse 15. You are not willing. See, stubbornness and refusal to live exactly by what God says is right never goes well. And I have never once in, in the four decades I've been saved, in the 27 years I've been in full-time ministry, I have never once seen one example of someone who thrived spiritually or had joy and peace in their life on a consistent basis who was living outside of the will of God. Not one. There's never been an example I like that. go, well, that person's not living for the Lord, but they are full of joy and they are full of peace and they are thriving spiritually. And listen, you and I or anyone else is not going to be the first one to break that rule. God is very clear in verse 15 of what needs to happen. Then Israel responds at the end of verse 15 and into verse 16. And you said, God speaking of what they're doing, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to repent and rest and quiet, be quiet and trust. We're not doing that. We're going to flee on horses. There's a good plan. Therefore, you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. That's good. You know what? When you're running from God, make sure you get in a fast car or on a swift horse because you can definitely outrun him. This is the delusion of their minds. Therefore, those who pursue you, uh-oh, they'll be swift. In other words, Israel, you're so deluded to think that you can work around God. You, you think you can now take control of the situation. Instead of doing what I am telling you is best and right, you're going to take control and you're going to panic and you're going to run away and you're going to think that your wisdom and your plan is better. How many know that the words our wisdom are an oxymoron? There's no way that our plan will ever be better than the plan of God. And we're going to look at the verses in just a minute to corroborate that. But, but Israel's response is pathetic. And then he turns and tells them, here's what's going to happen. And this is in verse 17. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five until your left is a flag on a mountaintop and as a signal on a hill. In other words, even though you're going to run, you're going to be outnumbered and you're going to be outmanned and you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to be exposed up on a mountain. Two verses before, he said, salvation and safety is here. It's available. If you will just trust, if you will just wait on me, if you will just repent, 
I will give you salvation and safety. But they say, no, we don't want to do that. That's not a good plan. So he says, all right, I'm going to give an image that's very dire. You're going to end up like a flagpole on top of the hill and you're going to be surrounded. You think your plan's better? You think running on the fast horses is going to be great? Well, guess what? The people that are pursuing you, their horses will be faster. You're not going to be able to get away. Now, that would be depressing if we didn't have verse 18. Because God shows just how gracious and how loving he is in verse 18. Look at these words. This is such a great verse. I have a new love for this verse. He longs to be gracious. Everybody say that with me. He longs to be gracious. The meaning there is he's waiting to show favor. Then it says he waits to have compassion. It's the exact same concept. So God's repeating himself. I long to be gracious and I wait to have compassion on you. And let me remind you, I'm a God of justice. I'm always right, but I'm always fair and I'm always merciful. And then let me give you the spiritual principle, he says. We are blessed when we wait for him. We are blessed when we wait for him. Now hold on to that. Just just hold those words in your heart for a second because it's so simple, but it's very, very profound. And for some reason, this can be so difficult for us to live on a daily basis. Say it again. We are blessed when we wait for him. Now the Lord is saying here that he pays attention to those who wait on him, that he rewards those who trust him and depend on him and put their confidence in him, even when things are unclear, even when things are not in our timetable, even when things are are longer than we would hope, even when they're on a different path than we would have expected or wanted. He says, listen, I'm paying attention. If you wait on me and you trust me, I will bless you. Now, the word bless there means happy, but, but don't do it like the video we just saw. Everybody's so happy. Yeah, okay, not, not the shallow, oh, I'm giddy now. This is a deep, abiding fulfillment that only comes from resting in the Lord. This is a satisfaction that cuts to the core of your soul. This is a contentment that can't be shaken by circumstances. Philippians 4.11 This is just such a, a resting comfort, satisfaction, joy, contentment in the Lord that can't be explained, but it cuts through the core of everything that we are. He says, when you wait on me, that's what you'll have. When you trust in me, that's what I'll fill you with. And one of the factors that inhibits us from doing that is that we just don't like to be delayed. And when that mixes with our desire for control, it becomes a very deadly combination for our faith. So how can we understand and value the, the spiritual concept of delay. Let me give you, I know it's warm, I'm so sorry. Let me give you four quick thoughts, okay? Write these down. You can study the passages later because we're just gonna, we're gonna glance at them, okay? But let me give you, or let the Holy Spirit, I pray, give us four concepts of the spiritual value of delay. First one's in Exodus chapter two. Turn back to the start of your Bible, Exodus chapter two. As you're turning, I'll start reading 
It came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid. And he said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, the first principle this morning, and we'll go through these quickly. The first principle is that delay is the time for us to develop in our faith and spiritual maturity. Delay is the time for us to develop in our faith and spiritual maturity. Moses was in Egypt for 40 years. We know the story. He was raised in the palace because his mother put him in a basket and the Pharaoh's daughter found him and raised him as her own. Beautiful story of Jochebed's faith. But Moses was 40 years before he left Egypt, and he left because he was trying to defend his fellow Hebrew. He was compassionate for the people. He had started to, to really notice his countrymen and be broken for them. But, but he made a mistake. He killed this guy, and he reacted out of his anger. So he fled into the wilderness. The Lord wasn't ready to use him to deliver Israel yet. First, he had to spend another 40 years out there. And there's no mention of leadership training. There's no mention of seminars that he went to or anything special that he went through. He was just learning to trust. He was just learning faithfulness. He was just learning consistency and waiting. Now, the Spirit doesn't tell us why Moses needed that, but he did. He had to because God took him through it. Maybe he needed a better empathy for the Jews or, 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 or maybe he, he needed some kind of uh, understanding of his gifts or maybe uh, the Lord was just waiting for Israel to cry out to him. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. The point was Moses waited another 40 years. And when God finally shows up in the burning bush and says, now it's time, Moses still has objections and excuses. God deals with those and Moses says, all right, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go boldly to Pharaoh. Now what's fascinating to me about this is that when the people rebel at Sinai, after he gets them out and the plagues and Pharaoh lets them go and they wander through the wilderness, they go through the Red Sea, you know the account, and they get to the other side and they get to Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the Lord and get the commandments and the people are down and they build the golden calf. When the people rebel and the Lord tells them, you're going to wander now for 40 years. This is a number that's clicking in Moses' mind, right? 40 years in Israel, 40 years in the wilderness. Now I've got to spend another 40 years in the wilderness again. I don't deserve that. That's not fair, his humanity is saying. I'm not the one who did it. I was faithful. I was up on the mountain. I was worshiping you. I got the commandments down. I came down. There was chaos. People were naked. There was a golden calf. Everybody was dancing. It was insane. Lord, why am I having to wander through the wilderness? Why don't you punish them and let me go to, to, to the promised land? Do you know there's not one verse in the Old Testament where Moses says, hey, wait a minute, God. I've already done my 40 years in the wilderness. See, Moses recognized at that point the value of that refining. And the danger when we have to wait in this part is bitterness. 
Whatever you're going through this morning, however difficult it is to wait for the leading of the Lord and the answers you've prayed for and you haven't gotten them yet, listen, don't let the enemy now turn that to cynicism and resentment and to lie to you and say God doesn't care because he does. Instead, stay steadfast in your faith and use that time of waiting. And listen, I'm speaking from experience there. Use that time of waiting to get closer to the Lord and to mature and to learn a deeper level of faith. Okay, that's principle one. Now turn over to Isaiah 40. We were just there. You're going back. Isaiah 40. You know this text well. Let me give you principle number two. Principle number two is that delay is the time for us to renew spiritually and get stronger. Delay is the time for us to renew spiritually and get stronger. Isaiah chapter 40, start in verse 28. Some of you know this by heart. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up the wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Now, if you had nothing to do this week, if your boss says, you know, we we're delayed on the project and um, I, have, I have no work for you, or you looked at your schedule as a mom or a stay-at-home dad or or a retired person, you say, it's clear, there's not a single substantial thing that I have on the schedule this week. How would you use that week? Would you use it to, to spend time with the kids? Actually, I'd probably start with sleep. That would be number one. Uh, or would you spend time with the kids or, or go on vacation or play golf or do some hobbies or catch up on a book or, or the TV series that you got on the DVR, whatever? I, I doubt many of us would say, I got a whole week off, I'm going to lift weights. Or I got a whole week off and I'm going to spend five or six hours a day in study and in prayer. Now spiritually, that's what we all need. We need to get stronger and be built up for the battle. Time in his presence. That's what we're told. Look back at the text. That's what we're told gives us strength and endurance. We need that time at the altar. And notice that the promise of verse 31 is absolutely based on verses 28 and 29. You cannot quote verse 31 if you don't quote verses 28 and 29 because he is the everlasting God. He is the one who doesn't grow tired or weary. His understanding is inscrutable. And he's the one who gives strength to the weary. Then and only then, when we understand and trust in that, is the rest defined. And then, because of that, those who wait upon, tell me who? Those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. Not if I get more sleep this week, I will get new strength. My body might catch up a little bit, but that's not the strength I need. I've proven for 30 years, I can exist on four hours of sleep if I have to. So, so getting eight hours a night is not going to make me, ah, now I'm great spiritually. What will get me great spiritually is spending time in His presence. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. 
the danger here is not to recognize the value of James 1, which says the trying of your faith is what develops you and makes you more complete. And though his leading isn't clear yet, and you're waiting on him, and maybe you're getting frustrated, don't use that as an excuse to become a spiritual couch potato. Well, all right, God's not answering my prayer, so I'm just going to sit here and wait for him to answer. Well, I'm not developing spiritually, so I'm just going to, you know what, I'll just, I'll spend a little bit of time on my Bible, but, but I'm not going to do anything more. God's just going to have to help me. That's lazy theology. Build yourself up in the faith. Get stronger. Get in the presence of the Lord. Lift the weights spiritually. Do the work of ministry, Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, I know you're discouraged. You're about to quit. Don't quit. Get double down now. Do the work of ministry. Be an evangelist. Train up those that need training. Forget the people out there that are, that are criticizing you because you love the Lord. Forget those people. Just stay focused on what you're doing. Because when the leading does come, you want to be ready for battle. Listen, when God starts answering the prayer and says, Paul, do that. Or church, do that. Or believer, do that. We don't want to go, oh, okay. Oh, let me stretch a little bit. You know what? I probably ought to bend a little bit. I've been sitting on the couch for a long time. Okay, where are we going now, Lord? I've been praying for your leading. It's finally come. I don't know. Ugh, can I get a bite to eat real quick? Jesus said, no man who's put his hand to the plow looks back. When God says this is the leading, we want to go, we are so ready. Lord, I'm so ready. Just just show me now, because I'm renewed spiritually, and I'm stronger, and I'm ready. Galatians 6, 9, look at it later, says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Quickly, number three, go over to Habakkuk chapter 2. That's five books before the end of the Old Testament, in case you're counting. Habakkuk chapter 2, principle number three. Delay is the time to learn to simply wait on the Lord. That's the whole principle. Delay is simply a time to learn what it is to wait on the Lord. You know, Habakkuk's a real interesting book of prophecy because the Chaldeans were hammering Judah, and that was a direct result of their sin and their stubbornness. And they're not listening to the warnings that, that the prophets are giving them. And Habakkuk is hurting because he's watching the people just get pulverized by this reality. So he cries out to the Lord, Lord, how long? In fact, it's in the first uh, two verses. Lord, how long? When are you going to help us? Lord, you see what's going on. You know what's going on. You've allowed this to go on. When are you going to lead us out? When are you going to show us your leading, Lord? Come on, Lord, help us now. Have you ever asked that question? I asked that question about six times just yesterday alone. Lord, how long? Show us your leading. Show us what you want. And that can be a real challenge to us because as finite beings, we don't have the insight that the Lord has, right? That's a gross understatement. And we want to see what's happening, and we can't. We don't know God's will. We don't know all of God's will. It says His understanding is inscrutable. And we're waiting, and, and personally and, 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 and corporately we're waiting, and we're saying, Lord, when are you going to work? Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with the question, Lord, when are you going to work? We see it all throughout Scripture. 
But the Lord tells us, you see through a glass darkly. You're not going to have full understanding until you get to heaven. So we need to be careful that this kind of innocent, I, I don't quite get it questioning, doesn't then become an excuse to supersede his will and jump ahead of him and say, you know what, God, you're not revealing your plans quickly enough, so I'm going to get involved. Because when we get to that place, that's the worst. Habakkuk became really discouraged, and he kind of concluded that the Lord wasn't moving quickly enough and that maybe his plan wasn't solid. But look at what the Lord says in chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come it will not delay. I want to read you that verse in the New Living Translation because even though it's a paraphrase, I think it really gets the idea. It says, These things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it surely will take place and it will not be delayed. In other words, God is saying to Habakkuk and he's saying to us, Listen, my plan will be carried out in your life, in your family, in your job, in your church. It will be carried out, but it will only be carried out at the exact time that I will it for it to happen. And you, because you don't understand that, just wait. Just learn to what it is to wait. You know when you're training your kids and they're young and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, I want this now, I want this now, I want this now. And you're like, no, no, son, Christmas is, you know, like three weeks away. You, no, Daddy, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now, I want it now. Son, we're not going to buy that right now. Christmas is three weeks, but I want it now, I want it. Anybody ever do that? That's us. Lord, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Answer now, answer now, answer now, answer now. Come on, show us your lead now, show us your lead now. And, and we get so impatient. Lord's like, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. Just trust me. That's an encouragement to me as a believer, as a pastor. Not, not wait. We'll, we'll be willing to wait because as long as the Lord shows us what he's doing, we'll wait. No, that's not how it works. It's wait just because you're called to wait. It's much more of a stretching of our faith. But isn't that what the Lord wants from us? And I've seen so much fruit from that, especially this week. The Lord has been so gracious in my own life as I've prayed very specifically about some things. He's answered them far more abundantly than I ever could have thought. And I'm just standing there going, Lord, why are you so good? No, seriously, why, why would you be that gracious? I prayed, my faith was lacking, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really strong, I was a little whiny maybe, and I asked you for help very specifically, and you not only answered it, but you answered it like nine steps past what I was asking. Why are you so gracious? And God reinforced the principle, you just need to wait. Just learn the value of waiting, because it's worthwhile. Can you do one more? I know you're like melting right now. John 11. You guys know this passage, so we don't even have to develop it. John 11. We'll just do three verses and we'll pray. Principle number four. Delay is the time to better understand and find confidence in the power and leading of the Lord. 
Delay is the time to better understand and find confidence in the power and leading of the Lord. Now, we know this passage. This is the passage where Lazarus dies. And the passage says a couple times that Jesus intentionally delayed in coming to Bethany. Even though he was close by, even though Mary and Martha called for him and said, please come, even though he loved, the passage even says it, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were some of his closest friends. And even though he absolutely had the power to heal, Jesus delayed. I've always been intrigued by that. Was he just being cruel? Was he just trying to show off? Why didn't he go right away? Why did he allow his friend to die? Why did he allow his other friends to suffer and be sad? I don't know there's a better passage in Scripture that is a more powerful illustration of the fact that God's ways are not our ways. And God's timing is not our timing. And we shouldn't resent that. We should just trust Him more. One reason for how He works is in verse 4. So he will be glorified and praised as the true God. A second reason is in verse 15. So that we will believe. It's interesting that Thomas, of all people, is the one who is all in on going to Judea, even though he knows that they may die if they go, because Jesus' life had already been threatened. And Thomas says, you know what, let's just go. Let's go. Thomas, we always think of the one who's going, I'm not trusting until I see him with my own eyes, touch him with my own hands. Jesus says, we need to go back to Judea. Thomas says, let's go. We may die, but we're going to go. God delays sometimes because we need our faith stoked. And then a third reason is in verses 21 to 27, that his work might be a witness. Martha meets him, and I've always read this passage that she's angry. Why didn't you come? If you had just come, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But I read it differently this week. Lord, if you had just come, we know that you could have healed him. I think it's plaintiff. I, I, think it's, I think it's sad. Lord, if you had just come, you could have done it. You could have done it. And then Jesus says, you know what, Martha? I'm the resurrection and the life. And look at verse 27. Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You know what? That wasn't a private conversation. There were mourners and people from all over the area who had come because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were well known. And when Lazarus died, a lot of people came. There were huge crowds. And Jesus meets Martha on the road because she runs out. And Martha says, if you would only come. And the crowd's standing there. And Jesus says, good job, Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And Martha says, you're the Christ. Can you imagine the witness of that? I'll tell you why that was so effective. Sometimes the Lord delays because he wants to be glorified. Sometimes the Lord delays because we need to believe. Sometimes the Lord delays because the witness needs to get out. Sometimes it's all three. And it's a small measure of sacrifice for the end result. Because would you look at verse 45 and we're going to pray. Look at verse 45. It says, after Lazarus came out and they untied him. Look at the next verse. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. There it is. 
Why did Jesus wait? Why did he allow Lazarus to die? Why did he allow his friends to be sad and suffer? You know why? Because he had to glorify himself. Other people had to believe and the witness had to get out. And when that happened, many believed. Would many have believed without Lazarus dying? We don't know. But they certainly did because he died. Sometimes God delays. And sometimes it frustrates us. But let's not be like Abraham who jumped ahead and say, you know what? I'm going to do it myself. Rest in him. Repent. Trust. And he will provide. The Lord is in control and he knows what's best for us. How many know that is true? God is faithful.